All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is a mock draft Monday where I will be breaking down my very own mock draft as well as talking about the Falcons' new free agent additions. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com. RIP, still going strong on Twitter, at FalcFans. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons is, of course, brought to you by Bill Bar. Go to BillBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. So today's episode is a mock draft Monday. No mailbag on today's episode. We'll put the mailbag to tomorrow's episode. But today is a mock draft Monday, and I wanted to give my own mock draft. I wanted to wait until after the first couple of days of free agency and have this first Monday after free agency kicked off to sort of run my own permutation of the top of the draft. And this is a mock draft. I'll spoil it right now for you guys is going to feature the Falcons trading down. This is my own assessment of one scenario of how the, the first 15 or so picks of the Falcon of the first round will go. And then later on in the episode, we'll take a deep, deep dive into why I believe Florida tight end Kyle Pitts is the only pick that makes sense for the Falcons in a scenario where they don't trade back and stay at pick four. And we'll break that down extensively on today's episode. But before we get into that, let's talk about the two free agent additions that the Falcons added this past week as free agency kicked off. The Falcons signed two depth pieces that this coaching staff, this front office is familiar with in safety, Eric Harris and outside linebacker, Brandon Copeland. I think both guys are ideally seen as depth, but have enough experience that they could potentially start in a pinch for the Falcons. And hopefully this is the first two of several forays into free agency that we will see over the next uh, couple of days and or weeks as we build towards the draft. But uh, we will see how that plays out. Uh, let's talk about Eric Harris. I think he's going to likely be penciled in at least currently as the starting free safety at this point in time until hopefully the Falcons add another uh, free safety that can sort of be that quote unquote quarterback of the defense. And that may be something that the Falcons wind up settling for with a draft pick at the top of the draft in the first couple of rounds of the draft. Uh, Harris is a player that I don't know if free safety is his ideal fit. I think if you were to sort of draw up the ideal scheme to deploy Harris, it would be more in that strong safety role in a cover three heavy scheme, similar to how the Falcons have utilized Keanu Neal over the last several years. And, you know, Harris is a former linebacker, did his best work playing closer to the line of scrimmage, played linebacker in the CFL, then was converted to a safety when the Saints signed him in 2016, when Terry Fontenot was there. He was cut by the Saints, then landed with the Raiders and played the next four years with the Raiders, the next, the last four years with the Raiders. His best year came in 2018, but each year since then, his pro football focus grades have declined somewhat. I think some of that is owed to him being asked to play a little bit more deeper, further away from the line of scrimmage, playing a lot more single high free safety and or cover two safety in the Raiders defensive scheme. You know, he's not a guy that's going to be great in those sort of deep uh, elements. You know, he's 
okay. Uh, it's kind of reminiscent of what Kamal Ishmael, for those of you that can recall back in 2014 when Willie Moe got hurt and the Falcons in Mike Nolan's defense were forced to have to play Kamal Ishmael more in that safety role and often asked him to play deep and he often got exposed in that. I think Harris has probably a little bit more range and, and ability. So I think he's more of a natural safety than Ishmael was, as we noticed that Ishmael moved to linebacker once Dan Quinn came to town. But it is one of those things where I do think Harris, the further and further away you get him from the line of scrimmage, you know, the less effective a player he is. I think ideally he's going to add depth. He's going to bring some value on special teams. Um, you know, these last two years, he has started quite a bit of games for the Raiders. A lot of that is due to injuries. A lot of that is doing to, due to other players getting benched. Players like Carl Joseph, Obi Melifon with some young safeties that they had um, a lot of hopes for, did not quite live up to expectations these last couple of years. And that kind of forced Harris into the lineup. And the more and more he played, the more and more he kind of got exposed. It's probably not a coincidence that his best season in 2018, he only played about 400 snaps that year for the Raiders. And these past two years have been lesser years and he's played 700 and 900 respectively. So let's move on to Brandon Copeland. He's going to be more of a Sam linebacker spot, likely competing for a starting spot opposite Dante Fowler competing with Michael Walker for that role. Copeland had his best year in 2018, similar to Harris. Then he was playing for the Jets in Todd Bowles' defense, where he played a similar role as a 3-4 outside linebacker, had a career-high five sacks. Mostly think the effort, mostly think to the things that Todd Bowles was able to scheme him up these past two years in 2019 with the Jets, and then this past year with the Patriots before a peck injury shortened his season. He's played more of an inside linebacker, more of an off-ball linebacker. So it kind of has similar versatility as a player like Walker, but just doesn't have Walker's speed, range, athleticism, and coverage ability. And, you know, what Copeland does best is he's going to set that edge against the run. I think he plays with a little bit better instincts than Walker did. But Walker played really well this past season, or at least played his best football when he was allowed to play more of that Sam outside linebacker role, playing up on the line of scrimmage. And when the Falcons moved him off the ball, you could sort of see the wheels turning in Walker's head. And he was a lot more hesitant and did not play with the same sort of instincts and in, in with the same quickness that you wanted him playing on the line of scrimmage. So I, I think this is going to be a, an interesting competition. I would certainly give Walker the edge just because of his natural talent, but Copeland gives you sort of a solid insurance policy in the event that Walker uh, doesn't take to Dean Pease's scheme um, for whatever reason. So, you know, I think right now for the Falcons, as far as their edge rusher outside linebacker position goes, you know, that spot that Fowler is likely to play, you know, if, if Walker and Copeland play the Sam, oftentimes you'll hear that other outside linebacker in a three, four referred to as a buck, depending on whose system they have call it different names, but that is much more of a pass rush specialist. That's the role that Terrell Suggs played in Baltimore and the Dean Pease. That's what I expect Fowler to play this year. And I do think the Falcons probably will try to find somebody in the draft, potentially early in the draft, uh, that will be able to inherit that buck position from Dante Fowler and sort of move into that spot come 2022. Uh, last point on the Falcons recent roster moves worth noting that Lee Smith is now the highest paid tight end on the roster. Unless the Falcons did something on the down low uh, over the weekend, because he was due a $250,000 roster bonus on Sunday, meaning he's going to count 2.25 million against the Falcons salary cap and 
for the sake of comparison, Hayden Hurst, the Falcons starting tight end counts only about 1.98 million against this year's cap. So it's fascinating to me that, you know, the Falcons had roughly 9 million of spending money after they did all their restructures and, and pay cuts. And 25% of that money is going to go to a third string tight end. That was actually the Buffalo Bills's fourth string tight end at the start of last year before injuries forced him to be forced up the depth chart. So yes, if you're wondering, Lee Smith is going to be this year's, this off season's version of Charles Harris, where I will not let it go. Um, but you know, in other Contract accounting news, $2 million of Julio Jones' 2022 base salary became guaranteed on Friday, I believe, meaning that if the Falcons were to move on from Julio next year, the dead money, if they were to cut him, is now $17.5 million. However, it would still remain about $15.5 million if the Falcons were to trade him at the outset of next offseason because any acquiring team from him in a trade would take on the guarantees in his base salary. So with that being said, we'll leave it at that and we'll move into the mock draft portion of today's Monday episode of the Locked On Falcons podcast, guys. But before we get there, I want to let you know that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NFL might be over, but NBA, NHL, NASCAR, and FCS college football are all in full swing. And of course, Bet Online is the place for college basketball and March Madness, as I'm sure you, like many of us, including myself, your bracket got busted over the weekend. So why not earn a little bit of cash to make up for the fact that one of your final four teams already lost in the opening round of the tournament and bet online even covers awards, TV shows and reality TV get real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine because bet online has you covered for all the news scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up, head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit bet online. Your online, Sportsbook experts. So I got you covered on everything you need to know about the Falcons, but what about the rest of sports? Host Peter Bukowski has you covered now with the Locked On Today podcast. It's all the sports news that you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So let's get into my very own mock draft, and we're only going to do the first 15 picks. That's already sort of tipping your hand on where I think the Falcons potentially will be trading back. This is my own prediction and we will probably, you know, sprinkle in my own mock drafts on these mock draft Mondays throughout the remaining, what, five weeks until the draft. So we probably will get at least two more in between now and then, but you know, the, nothing new with my first two picks. I have Jacksonville taking quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, the jets taking quarterback, Zach Wilson. Then at pick three, I have Carolina trading up for Justin Fields. And last week, I think I talked about how the Carolina could potentially prefer Trey Lance over Justin Fields. And this week, I'll flip that. And again, you'll often hear me sort of do these 180s because there's so many different scenarios and whatnot. And uh, I try to be open-minded. But since last week, I saw something from Jordan Rodriguez, who covers the Rams for The Athletic, but used to cover the Panthers. And last month, she appeared on a podcast, and I didn't listen to the podcast, but I saw someone sort of clip the quote. And she said, I know, referring to the Panthers, they love Justin Fields. I know they like Mac Jones. So in a scenario where the Panthers are compelled to move up in this draft, it might be for Justin Fields, as I have them selecting here at the third overall pick swapping with Miami. And if they stay put at that eighth overall pick, it might be to take someone like Mac Jones, which suggests that Mac Jones's chances of being a top 10 pick this year are much better than I thought, because I 
often assume that he'll be like a mid to late first round pick. Um, so we'll see what happens with Mac Jones in the rest of this mock draft, but here now at four, this is where the Falcons would normally pick, but I have the new England Patriots trading up for quarterback Trey Lance. I have the Falcons receiving the Patriots first round pick number 15 overall their second round and fourth round this year, as well as the Patriots second round next year to make this trade happen. So that would give the Falcons 11 picks in this year's draft and also make up for the loss of that seventh round pick for trading for Lee Smith. And they'll get a second round pick for, you know, the second time in three years from the New England Patriots. So as for the trade possibility, we've talked in the past about in order for the Falcons to trade back in this draft, I think it's going to likely require a second team besides Carolina. Now, again, if Carolina stays put, you only need one team to trade up, but a second team besides Carolina to want to come up for a quarterback. And I've heard a lot of people over the last week specifically due to new England's very aggressive approach in free agency conclude that the Patriots will also be similarly aggressive in the draft. And it doesn't seem likely. I, I kind of understand where that's coming from because it doesn't seem likely that they're going to be content with Cam Newton and Jared Siddham as their top two quarterbacks for a second consecutive year. Uh, but you know, you can't really figure out the Patriots. So I have them coming up for Trey Lance. Number five, I have Cincinnati taking Penny Sewell six Philadelphia takes Kyle Pitts seven Detroit takes Jamar chase. Not sure any of those picks require in-depth analysis. Number eight, I have Miami taking Jalen Waddle. I still think Jalen Waddle gets picked ahead of Devontae Smith, his teammate at Alabama. I'm not sure that's an opinion that's probably going to change all that much between now and the draft until I start hearing a lot more buzz about Smith, you know, going much higher in this draft and people will get to Devontae Smith later. Um, number nine, I have Arizona trading up for cornerback Patrick Sertain, Waddle and Smith's uh, teammate from Alabama. And that, requires the Cardinals to leapfrog the Cowboys who pick 10th. And I think the Cardinals are going to be aggressive uh, as they have been this off season. They're clearly trying to make a run at the Super Bowl in these last two years before they're forced to have to pay Kyler Murray and cornerback appears to me to be the biggest hole on their roster. And so I think getting certain who a lot of people think is the top corner in this year's draft class makes a ton of sense. Number 10, I have Dallas taking CB two and Caleb Farley from Virginia tech. Number 11, I have, the Giants taking Rashawn Slater. When I was doing this mock over the, the weekend, the first couple of versions, I had Devontae Smith go here to the Giants, but then the Giants signed Kenny Galladay. Then I was potentially going to have them take a cornerback like J.C. Horn from South Carolina, and then reports emerged Sunday that they are now the front runners to land cornerback Adoree Jackson. So this is just further proof that you have to wait until after free agency to do these mock drafts before they come anywhere close to being somewhat accurate. So I have the Giants going with plan C in this case going with an offensive line. I've read reports that say that the Giants are content to just simply develop the current young players on their offensive line, but uh, adding another player like Slater who can play inside where that's really where their weakest at currently makes a ton of sense. Number 12, I have the 49ers taking Mac Jones. This is where Mac Jones goes. You know, I feel like the 49ers are another team that are potentially in the mix to move up for a quarterback like Trey Lance. So hopefully if, if you're on team trade back for the Falcons, you want to see a scenario where the Falcons can create a little bit of a bidding war for that number four overall slot between the teams like the 49ers and potentially the Patriots. 
13th overall, I have the New Orleans Saints trading up for Devontae Smith. This is where Smith stops, quote unquote, falling. Although I want to make it clear, I don't think this is really falling for him. I, I've long felt, since, really since September, that Devontae Smith was going to probably go somewhere in the middle of the first round because I think NFL teams generally are prejudiced against 105-pound wide receivers. Um, and I had the Saints trading up just because I wanted to have another trade in this top 15. And, you know, the Saints tend to be very aggressive when it comes to their draft. Uh, and I talked about this when we hired Terry Fontenot coming from an organization that tends to be very aggressive with going after the players that they really like. And obviously the saints know that wide receiver two has been a problem area for their team opposite Michael Thomas. So I think Devonte Smith makes a ton of sense uh, to sort of, tag team with Thomas in their wide receiver group. Uh, number 14, I have Minnesota taking uh, Virginia Tech offensive tackle Christian Derisaw. And then 15, I have the Falcons taking edge rusher Aziz Ojalari from Georgia. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't put a ton of thought into this. I just kind of just like, oh, I'll just pick a guy. And basically I picked Ojalari because not because I thought he'd be the pick, but he's just simply a placeholder. You know, the Falcons could definitely wind up taking a cornerback like JC Horn with this pick as well. But I have them going past rusher just because I'm hopeful, maybe naively hopeful that they're going to sign a veteran corner in the coming days and weeks uh, to sort of be that placeholder at that position, which would then free them up to take an edge rusher and improve this pass rush. But to be honest with you, I haven't really watched this year's edge class all that much. I've seen a little bit of the guys. Um, and I remember having locked on Titans host Tyler Rowland on the podcast when we had him to talk about DMPs last month. And he talked about how DMPs wants versatile edge rushers and whatnot. And, you know, I figured, you know, looking at the top edge rushers in this draft class, these guys, whether we're talking about Ojalar, where we're talking about Quiddy Pay from Michigan, Jalen Phillips or Gregory Rousseau from Miami, you know, whichever one of these guys has that sort of versatility to be able to play the run, drop in the coverage or whatever, and be that sort of three down outside linebacker. And from what I've heard, I think a lot of people think Ojalari, even though he may not be the best pass rusher in this group, may be the most all around player of this group. At least I've heard some people say that it seems to make a lot of sense for me. So he's the pick I, I chose, not because I, I think that's definitely the pick, but I just basically like, yeah, sure. Let's go with Ojalari. And by the way, if you're curious, you know, 16th overall where Denver traded back with Arizona. They took Micah Parsons in this mock draft. So there is the trade down scenario. I think the Falcons want to trade down. I think that's going to be their plan a based off of all their actions so far this off season. It seems like they're sort of geared towards trading back in this draft, collecting picks to fill a lot of holes. We, we might get into this later on this week, but right now because of the lack of activity in free agency to fill a lot of the holes, particularly in the secondary, um, you know, Know, the Falcons have don't have enough premium picks to be able to get day one starters at a lot of their areas of, of the roster. We went into the offseason saying running back, left guard, corner, free safety, um, and edge were probably their five biggest needs. Um, we assume, you know, right now they really haven't addressed any of those unless you're in account Brandon Copeland and, and Eric Harris, which I will not as sort of addressing those needs. So, you know. We'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I think right now trading down makes the most sense. But in the scenario where we're talking about plan B, um, then I think that probably means that they stay put at four. And I think Kyle Pitts overwhelmingly is the only pick that makes sense if the Falcons were to stay put at four. And I'll explain exactly why that is coming up on today's Lockdown Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, I know it's March 
And you know that means March Madness, and it's time to find out not only which is the best college basketball team, but which Built Bar flavor is the best. All month long, Built Bar is unveiling their bracket for the best flavor with daily matchups between the top flavors, and you can pick yours at BuiltBar.com. If you don't know, Built Bars are the best tasting protein bar on the market, and they're not just tasty, they're healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. Build your own bracket or vote for your favorites by heading over to BuiltBar.com, and make sure you use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15 15% off your next order. Today's matchup features coconut versus white chocolate birthday cake. You're going to see a lot of coconut flavors in this week's matchups, by the way. And whether you're a fan of coconut or not, go ahead, pick your favorites at builtbar.com. And when you do make sure you use that promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. So the NFL draft is weeks away and it's time to start following the two locked on NFL draft podcasts. The draft dudes podcast watches every prospect. So you don't have to, and the locked on NFL draft podcast is your daily draft news and mock draft podcast. Follow locked on NFL draft and draft dudes on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. So why am I so confident that the Falcons will or should, or could take Kyle Pitts? Well, it's a simple process of elimination that when you look at the financial ramifications of pretty much any other pick, you know, taking a tight end like Kyle Pitts makes absolutely the most sense right now. We're also assuming that the Falcons will take an offensive player with this fourth overall pick. And I know technically there is a reality where the Falcons do take a defensive player if they stay at pick four, but I think universally that would be considered a reach. There's like, you know, I don't think anybody, you know, maybe one or two people have, you know, if you go at people's like top eight players in this draft class, I think all, almost all of them are going to be like offensive players by over like seven out of the eight of them. So, you know, what about quarterback, right? That's the big question that re- that will remain the big question throughout this off season. Here's the issue. Matt Ryan's cap hit in 2022. So not this year, but next year is $48.7 million. Let's round up to $49 million to make it easier. Now, if the Falcons were to cut or trade him at the outset of next off season, they will save $8 million against the cap, but they will still have to carry $40 million in dead money. As I've said before, it's not impossible that the Falcons could do that, but they will basically have to construct their entire offseason strategy around how they can carry that burden. Now, the only thing, in my opinion, that would prompt the Falcons to move on from Matt Ryan at the outset of next offseason is if they were to draft a quarterback this year. Now, some of you may be saying, well, they could make him a post-June 1 cut. But it doesn't really help, guys. Yes, you do split the dead money burden over two years with $25 million counting towards your 2022 salary cap and $15 million counting towards your 2023 salary cap. But remember, guys, you don't get those savings until June 2nd, which means you'll be burdened by the entire $49 million cap hit throughout the entire offseason. It is a non-starter, which means that in reality, when we sit here today and you look at the financial future of the Falcons at the quarterback position, they're almost certainly going to have to restructure Matt Ryan again next year in order to avoid paying $40 million. Basically, regardless of how you do it, if you move on from Matt Ryan, or even if you keep him, you're going to be burdened with carrying $40 million in terms of a cap hit at some point next offseason, right? And the only way to avoid that is by keeping Matt Ryan and restructuring him which is going to tie you for another year with Matt Ryan in 2023. And you're going to have the exact same issue a year from now where you're going to have to be locked into two more years of Matt Ryan. And you're going to, so you're going to wind up restructuring Matt Ryan a fifth time next year. And your best case scenario is kind of Matt Ryan playing really well 
under Arthur Smith this year. And therefore you don't restructure him. You just give him a small extension. That's going to lower the cap burden for the next couple of years before you find yourself in another position again to take a quarterback high. So basically the argument I'm making is it is in the Falcons best financial interest to not draft a quarterback this year, because you don't want to have to take on that $40 million plus cap hit next year. Also, I know some of you are saying, but Aaron, the TV money kicks in next year. That's going to help, right? And it's like, not really, because the TV money doesn't technically take place. The deal doesn't kick in until 2023. And my recollection of the last time the league signed a new TV deal at the outset of the last CBA a decade ago, it took two or three years before you saw that big spike in the salary cap to really increase the salary cap. So it may be 2024 before you see the really significant spike in the salary cap that will then allow you to be able to take on a $40 million uh, dead money hit like it's nothing. So what about another position like offensive tackle, say Penny Sewell? Well, the same thing that applies to Matt Ryan kind of applies to Jake Matthews. Jake Matthews' cap hit in 2022 is $23.6 million, so roughly $24 million. If you cut him, you do save $4 million, right? Or you trade him, you do save $4 million, but you still have to take on $20 million in dead money next year. Are you going to pay Jake Matthews $20 million to go away? Now, I know some of you are saying, yes, I would happily pay that, but the Falcons aren't. And so you're going to be in the same situation a year from now where you're going to need to restructure him. Maybe you tack on some voidable years to increase the savings at that point in time, but you probably just wind up saying, look, we only got one more year left of Jake Matthews. His contract runs out at the end of the 2023 season. Might as well just keep him and, and let it run out. And then we'll worry about the left tackle position in 2024 and beyond. So you're in that situation where you're not going to necessarily be able to move on from Jake Matthews at left tackle until two or three years down the road. So you're going to draft Penny Sewell as your left tackle of the future and then have him, what, play guard for the first two or three years of his NFL career? Now, it would be different if it was a situation like Laramie Tunsil or Andrew Whitworth who played guard for one season to sort of get their feet wet and then immediately in year two moved out the left tackle. But you're not moving on from Jake Matthews. It's very unlikely that you're moving on Jake Matthews for at least two more years. Now, you say, well, it's not about Jake Matthews, it's about Kayla McGarry. Well, why not just draft Penny Sewell and plug him in at right tackle? Well, guess what? You have two more cheap years of Kayla McGarry at the very least. If he has a good 2021, you might decide to extend him his fifth year option, which would lock him in through the 2023 season. And that, that year would be fully guaranteed. I'd be skeptical of that at this point in time, but we'll see. I'm of the mindset that McGarry is a much more natural tackle than he is a guard. As far as I know, McGarry's never played guard. He played tight end and defensive line in high school. He played exclusively right tackle, as far as I recall, at Washington. So you're going to take Sewell, plug him in at right tackle, and move McGarry to left guard and hope he takes to the position. But if he doesn't, then I guess you're, you're trading him. That's your best case scenario is you're going to trade Kayla McGarry next year and get, like I don't know, a fourth or fifth round pick for him or whatever the case may be. That could work, but I don't see why that's an ideal scenario for the Falcons, right? So this is where I get into one of my main issues with drafting Sewell is it doesn't really solve the main issue on your offensive line guys, which has been and remains the interior of the Falcons offensive line. That has been the problem area for this offensive line the last several years and arguably for most of the last seven or eight years, right? 
where the Falcons have had just sort of revolving door at left guard and center and, and right guard. And they've had relative stability at the tackle positions and drafting Sewell and plugging him at tackle doesn't solve the fact that they've had this revolving door on the interior. Right. And especially if you're committed to Matt Ryan, as we've ex- sort of explained, the Falcons are kind of going to have to be, you know, you want to build your strong interior of your offensive line. That's really where if you want, uh, if you have a pocket quarterback like Matt Ryan, you need to have the strength of your offensive line really be the interior of your offensive line. Similar to what we've seen with Tom Brady, similar to what we've seen with Drew Brees over the years. And again, Sewell doesn't fix that problem. Now, I know people say, and I said this, I've said this on the podcast as well. And after doing more research, I tend to be a little bit more skeptical of this. Yes, he was re- he was listed as a guard among recruiting elements coming out of high school, but I haven't seen a scrap of evidence that said he actually played guard in high school. Every highlight I've seen of Penny Sewell from his high school days, he was playing either left tackle or right tackle. So I feel like this is a classic case of square pegging a player for no other reason than just simply saying, hey, we want to invest in the offensive line, so take an offensive lineman and we'll figure it out later. Now, to me, if you just really want to fix what is the real issue for the Falcons up front, just take a guard in round two, guys. There are going to be plenty of guys available for you to take. Or do this crazy thing of trading back into the first round, into the middle of the first round, as we outlined earlier on today's episode, and take someone like Rashawn Slater or Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, right? Tucker played guard at USC. He played left guard. Oh, my God, the position that you want him to play. And Slater was recruited as a guard at a high school. And I can actually confirm from watching his high school highlights that he legitimately played guard in high school, not to mention Unlike Sewell, who is a sort of generational tackle prospect, Slater's kind of destined to be a guard in the NFL anyway, because he just doesn't have the arm length that a lot of teams look for at the tackle position. So to me, you're either taking Sewell and you're going to keep him at offensive tackle. And, you know, if Caleb McGarry doesn't solve your guard problem, then guess what? You're going to be in the exact same position that you are right now next year. But I guess you upgraded your right tackle. So I I guess now for the two games that, you know, you go against Brian Burns, I guess he's not going to be a problem. So congratulations, but you're still going to be have the exact same need a year from now that you have right now. And if you take Sewell and plug him in at left guard, you're drafting a guy number four overall on your board to play a brand new position as far as we know. And again, I don't have a problem taking a guard at four, but take an actual guard at four. Quentin Nelson went six. He was an actual guard, right? Brandon Scherf, who went fifth, right? He played primarily tackle, but he started his career at Iowa playing guard. So those guys had real experience as top five, top six guards, right? Rather than Penny Sewell, who we're guessing might have played, might have dabbled as a guard, like what, four years ago or something like that. So I have a big problem with that. Now, what other position could the Falcons take it for? They could take a wide receiver. Now, you could make a better pace. You could make a better case for taking a wide receiver at four than you could a quarterback or offensive tackle in my mind. Now, financially speaking, Julio Jones is still going to be very pricey. His dead money, if you trade him next year, is $15.5 million. If you cut him at the outset of next offseason, it's $17.5 million. That's not a small number, but it is better than what you're going to pay Jake Matthews. It's better than what you're going to take on in dead money with Matt Ryan. If you move on from one of those guys, right? You're not going to get really any cap savings from moving on from Julio next year. So you're not really getting the benefit. So again, I don't think wide receiver makes a ton of sense for you. 
because if you're taking a wide receiver, you're almost certainly going to be taking Jamar Chase to sort of be that X wide receiver to replace Julio Jones. He's going to be your new Julio Jones, your new AJ Brown, rather than, you know, drafting a Z like a Devontae um, Smith. Now, Jalen Waddle could also play X, but you also have to factor in that you're almost certainly going to have to extend Calvin Ridley next offseason because you're going to give him the fifth year option this offseason, which is going to guarantee $11 million next year. And the only way that you can lower that money is by basically giving him a contract extension. Also, this upcoming season is also the contract year of Russell Gage. So he's going to be a free agent next season. Now, We'll see if he returns next year. I think a lot of that's going to depend on how productive he is this upcoming season, what his potential price tag is next offseason. But I think you have a ready-made replacement, at least in the slot, in terms of Olamide Zacchaeus. So you're good at you're good at the Y position. You're good at the Z position. You just need an X, right? So moving on from Julio Jones is not impossible, right? So I think it's possible the Falcons could go for someone like Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle at that number four overall pick, but you don't necessarily need to, right? I think really the wide receiver position is the lesser of the three evils when it comes to quarterback, offensive tackle, or wide receiver, but that leads us to the real position that it makes the most sense, financially speaking, for the Falcons to draft at the number four overall selection. That's, of course, Florida tight end Kyle Pitts, because guess what? This upcoming season, like Russell Gage is the final year of Hayden Hurst's contract, unless the Falcons extend his fifth year option this offseason in the next couple of months. Now you could do that and you would then have Hayden Hurst making roughly $5.5 million in guaranteed money in 2022 before he would then hit the open market the following offseason. Now, $5.5 million, if Hayden Hurst is your starting tight end, is a relative bargain. So it does make sense for you to give that fifth-year option if Hayden Hurst is going to be starting. But is he going to be starting? I don't know. I think a lot of that depends on what you do with this number four. If you take Kyle Pitts, I don't think he's going to be starting. But here's the thing with Hayden Hurst, right? Hayden Hurst turns 28 this August. He's going to be 28 when this upcoming season starts. Right. We've seen the type of money that teams are throwing at tight ends on the open market, like Hunter Henry, John o. Smith this offseason, Austin Hooper last offseason. Hooper got ten and a half million dollars last offseason. Henry and Smith got twelve and a half million dollars this past offseason. Are you going to pay a 28 year old Hayden Hurst ten to thirteen million dollars a year when you wouldn't pay Austin Hooper, who was three years younger than Hayden Hurst, better blocker? And basically had a very, very similar skill set as a wide receiver. If you were sitting there saying, we can't justify paying Austin Hooper this type of money, and he was going to give you three more peak years of production and what Hayden Hurst is going to give you on his second contract, how can you justify paying Hayden Hurst a second contract? You can't justify it. So here's the, here's the good thing for the Falcons. They don't have to make a decision on whether to extend Hayden Hurst's fifth-year option until after the draft. I believe the deadline is May 3rd, which is the Monday after this upcoming draft. So they can wait and to decide on whether or not they want to give Hayden Hurst the fifth-year option until draft weekend, right? And so if you draft Kyle Pitts at number four, then you don't have to extend Hayden Hurst's fifth-year option, and you can just simply let him walk next offseason in free agency, collect a compensatory pick. Probably, if he gets a market-level deal, that's probably going to be a third-round pick for you. So that's a benefit. If you don't draft Kyle Pitts, then guess what? You can just extend Hayden Hurst's fifth-year option relatively 
you know, at a relatively cheap price, get one more year at a Hayden Hurst, and then, you know, hopefully potentially draft his replacement in the 2022 draft. Who knows? So financially speaking, all of that to sit here and say, Kyle Pitts is the only correct pick. If you look at the Falcons finances, whether it's all the money they're paying quarterback, all their money, they're paying a left tackle, all the money they're playing wide receiver. It doesn't make sense for the Falcons to stay at four and take one of those positions. It does make total sense for the Falcons. If they're going to stay at four to take a tight end because they're not really paying their tight end all that much. And there's really no reason to think sitting here today that Hayden Hurst is going to play more than one or two seasons in Atlanta and is not going to get a second contract from the Falcons. Right. He's just basically what he was, was a two or three year rental for the Falcons to get them to the next tight end to be their long term answer, which, of course, Kyle Pitts is. So I've just explained sort of the financial reasons why Kyle Pitts and oh, like, never mind that, you know, the quote unquote cherry on top is the fact that he's really good on the field. We talking about the finances of why you would draft Kyle Pitts. There's a lot of good reasons for the football standpoint to draft Kyle Pitts. So if you want to say plan a should be trading back and draft, that's fine. Like I'm not going to sit here and fight you on that. You can certainly make a, a strong and easy argument that that should be plan a, but plan B, if that includes staying at pick four, Kyle Pitts is the only pick that makes sense. So those are my thoughts. Let that, you know, put that in pipe and, and smoke it, as they say. So we'll see what happens with that. But from my perspective, I think that's the only pick that makes sense if the Falcons are going to stay at four, right? You're basically going to get yourself into big financial problems, right? Where you're going to be sitting a, four, a fourth overall pick for a couple of years or playing them at a wrong position. If you go in any other direction at that selection. So we'll see how it goes, guys. Uh, tomorrow's episode as you know. Today was not a mailbag episode, so we'll do that tomorrow, probably a Twitter Tuesday. If you want to submit your questions, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Locked on Falcons, Facebook at Locked on Falcons. You can send an email to Locked on Falcons at mail.com. I know one question that we will discuss on tomorrow's episode is we'll get deeper into Matt Ryan's money and whether or not, you know, a listener sent in the question and saying, is he getting to pay too much money for the Falcons to have a realistic chance of winning a Super Bowl? And we'll take a deeper look at that uh, topic on tomorrow's episode. So look forward to that. And hopefully, hopefully later this week, I will get an opportunity to talk about another free agent edition, but who knows at this point in time. So uh, appreciate it guys until then.